Welcome to episode four of Kicking It. First episode of the new year. I've got my partner Danny Belcito with Kicking It with Breezy and Don C on the phone. Danny, what's going on, man? How has your new year been? Hard to believe that it's already 2020. Nah, man, it, it's crazy. Uh, I've had a good break, enjoyed the break from school. Uh, I spent way too much money on food and sneakers like I always do, but it's been a good break to be home. You know, the weather hasn't been too bad, so I've been enjoying it here. Uh, how about you? How was your break? It was good. I actually just got back last night. We spent pretty much after Christmas up till the second in Northern Virginia visiting family, and it's always nice, you know, getting some chances to chill out, relax. Cold weather. It was actually really cold in Northern Virginia, but I got back to Lexington today, and my car said 70 degrees, and I was very upset. So, you know, that's okay. Just got to deal with it. But while I was in Virginia, want to get into our first topic. Really. Got to sit there and take it all in. I was watching the college football playoff semifinals with my relatives, my family, and boy, Joe Burrow. Uh, okay, I didn't think, let's just say for the record, I didn't think he was going to be as good as he was against Oklahoma. And when I saw the 400-yard just outburst that he had, along with the seven touchdowns, Danny, I felt like I was watching NCAA football gameplay from like a PS3 or an Xbox One. Or I mean, he just literally carved up that defense i mean i didn't think he was that good i did not think he was that good he definitely proved me wrong against georgia my team and then coming out against oklahoma what did you make of it yeah i mean joe burrow from the first snap looked like he uh went into the settings and put the difficulty on easy because (laughs) it didn't look like oklahoma had any any answers for what they were throwing out there everything they were trying was working he threw i think four touchdowns to justin jefferson threw one to the tight end moss it looked like everything was going going their way. And I think what they did to them was staggering. And I think what they really wanted to do was send a message to whoever came out of the second game that we're here. You're going to have to beat us for this championship. I thought when I saw the spread, it was like, I think, 14 points. I'm thinking college football semifinal. Like, that's a pretty steep, you know, betting line. Boy, was I wrong. And they ended up beating them by, I think, 35 plus points. Um, but I think one of the most important things about that game was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was injured going into that game, and right. I think he played less than 10 snaps. I think that that's going to end up really boding well for them when it comes to the final, and I think if they're at full strength, I think that spells some real problems for Clemson. I mean, they pulled out one of the more resilient wins of the year by you know your guy Trevor Lawrence, who you were very, very, very impressed with, um, but I feel like they barely made it out of that game alive. Uh, obviously, there were a couple of couple of calls that went their direction but uh what do you, what did you think about that game you know it was interesting when you want to talk about LSU and <clears throat> when you want to talk about Oklahoma to be quite frank I thought Oklahoma had a really good shot at I wouldn't say beating LSU because like I said before Joe Burrow what he did to Georgia I think really opened my eyes because to be honest with you that same Joe Burrow beat Georgia handedly the year before in 20 I want to say well yeah 2018 And I was thinking, okay, you know, this guy's not an impressive quarterback. He just had a lot of weapons around him. His defense was stout. I'm like, you know, I want to see what kind of jump he makes. Well, he made that jump, and it started against Texas. People were showing. I want to know how many times ESPN showed that play against Texas when he had a third down conversion against them probably like first weekend of the year, and then that's like the Joe Burrow signature moment. But all throughout the year I'm thinking, okay, this guy's got to be just a one-hit wonder. There's no way he's that good. And game went on, game and game, you know, pass by here I am stumbling with my words like teams stumbling on defense against Joe Burrow like Oklahoma I mean 
it was insane just to see the jump he took from his junior to senior year and then capping it off by dismantling Georgia. And then if you want to say dismantle Georgia, I don't know what he did to Oklahoma. I don't even know if there's a word in the dictionary. 400 yards, seven touchdowns. I mean, that doesn't get as much praise, I think, as it deserves. I understand the cliche with the Big 12 defense and, you know, Oklahoma's never been a defensive-minded team. Granted, we saw that. And, you know, they're probably never going to be a defensive-minded team as long as they've got Lincoln Riley. But I just think that it shows you that LSU is that unbeatable. I don't think that any team is even going to come close. And, frankly, no team has really come close. You know, you got talk about 14 games in, national championship approaching with Clemson, who we're going to get into in just a second. I love Clemson. I really love Trevor Lawrence. You said that previously. But do you really think – I mean, I'm asking you straight up. Does Clemson have a shot to keep this within two scores in your eyes? In in my eyes, personally, no. And here's why. I I think Joe Burrow, you know, I think something that really contributed to his jump was Coach Orgeron. I think he's a coach that is truly there for the players. He gives them full confidence. He believes in them. He believes in the university. He believes in the city, the culture. And they have absolutely followed him to the promised land. They, he said they were going to take over, and they have. And I think they have so many weapons on that offense where, like I said, I, I thought Clemson doesn't even really deserve to be in this game right now. And what I saw from Ohio State on that last drive on defense mm-hmm. when Lawrence just dissected them. Yeah. I, I don't think Ohio State's defense would have kept up either. I think those teams were really playing for second place. And after what I saw Joe Burrow do to Alabama, I think that's really what shows what type of college quarterback you are. You know, that doesn't always translate to the pros. Like one of my favorite college football players, Johnny Manziel, beat Alabama when he was in, <laughs> in college. And that obviously did not translate into a professional career. Right. But I think all the skills that Joe Burrow possesses, you know, his pocket presence, he's he has a vision that is something I've never seen. A vision that, in my opinion, is only really even rivaled by Trevor Lawrence, who I had mentioned last year. I thought he had some of the best vision, really, that I had ever seen. And I heard firsthand from one of my buddies who played for Notre Dame. He said, I've never seen a guy who can play the defense on each other almost. He looks you away better than anything. And, and I think uh, Joe Burrow's the only one who's really that close. And I think he just has more weapons around him. And a coach who truly has the swag to uh, lead them to a national championship. So to answer your question, no, I do not think Clemson keeps it within two scores. I think that's the closest that game is going to be. And uh, But I do think LSU absolutely drops somewhere in the range of 42 to 48 points and wins that game rather easily. Yeah, I, I can't really say I disagree with you. I mean, I picked Ohio State to win the game against Clemson. Granted, that didn't happen, but... As I was watching, Danny, I don't know, I was watching with my uncle in Virginia, and we were sitting there on the couch, and, you know, Ohio State jumped out to that 10 nothing lead at the end of the first, and they kept having drives that were just cut short in the red zone. And my uncle and I kept saying for Clemson, like, hold them to a field goal, hold them to a field goal. And they, you know, once they got it to that, what was it, 16, 16 point mark, Ohio State, after yeah. that, I mean, you could tell it was just all Clemson. And that defense, after losing. Their entire D line last year. I don't think people talk about that enough. Those four D line on that on that Clemson line. I mean, Clellan Farrell, Dexter Lawrence, and then you talk about you know a guy like Christian Wilkins, and then Austin Bryant, all first round picks. And then you replicate that with what they've had this year. That secondary as well took a hit. AJ Terrell leading them in the back. But I love this Clemson team. I, it's hard to say because you know this LSU team is so full of mismatches you know with Justin Jefferson who I let's be clear I loved seeing every time he caught a touchdown he caught four 
he would count on his fingers and hold it up to the the Oklahoma fans in the crowd. And when he got to four, looking down and looking at four on his fingers and pointing to the crowd, I just, as a competitor and as a former athlete, you know, surely I played, you know, high school sports, you know, like a lot of people did in this country. But I love just seeing that as a competitor, how he had the edge over Oklahoma in that game. But yeah, talking about Clemson, I loved how they played against Ohio State, the grit and the grind. And I get that, you know, that call that was missed when it comes to Justin Ross's fumble. Did you think it was a fumble or not? Did you watch that game late into the game? Yeah, to be honest, with that call, that one was one I was a little bit back and forth on. I mean, in this type of situation, I trust the experts. I trust analysts. I trust people who have played the game. And there were multiple analysts and ex-players saying, yeah, whether that was a fumble or not, it was ruled a fumble. Yeah. Was there enough that happened to overrule that to, to really save Clemson for, in my opinion, the second time during the game and keep them afloat? Yeah. I the, truthfully don't think so, but that's one that for me can go back and forth. So I understand the call. Uh, there was one call that I completely disagreed with, which I truly think was the only reason Clemson is playing for a national championship, and that was the roughing the passer call that led to uh, Sean Wade's ejection. That call. Ta- the targeting, yeah. Targeting. That I completely disagree with. And I think that truly led to that, you know, gritty, grinding, you know, attitude that you said Clemson had. I, I don't think they even get a chance to show their grit if that does not go that way. Because if you look at it, they were 16 0 down. That was a third down. They're about to punt. Trevor Lawrence drops two feet to brace for a big hit, gets hit in the head by, yeah, Sean Lee, who did lead with his helmet. So I do understand that aspect of the call. But I completely disagree with the targeting call. I disagree with the ejection. And that led to a touchdown, which led to a quick stop, which led to that absolutely shining moment that Trevor Lawrence had with that 70-yard rushing touchdown. You know, that looks like a 16-0 halftime or maybe even 23-0 halftime because all the momentum is with Ohio State at that point. So I think, you know, that call, along with that Justin Ross fumble call, I truly can attribute that to Clemson winning just as much I can attribute it to Trevor Lawrence's greatness on that last drive. You know, that that's my feeling about it. And I'm not the biggest Clemson fan. You know, everybody who knows me knows I'm not the biggest fan of Clemson in the world, you know, being a Miami fan. But I, I don't know. I mean, good for them to win. They had to do a lot to win. And like we always say, the what-if game is so easy to play. Oh, but, you're right. But that was those were two crucial moments in the game that really did end up saving Clemson and giving them about 14 points back on the board. And obviously the game was won by six. So, you know, eh, I don't know. That's a lot of stuff I think that uh, Ohio State's going to have to deal with in this offseason, you know, getting over those uh, those goosebumps from that game. But, yeah, I, I still, even with that, I don't think Clemson is going to keep it close. But it's so hard to say that because of what Clemson did to Alabama last year. Yeah. You know, it's it was the same thing. I thought walking into that game, oh, Alabama against the ACC, Clemson, oh, this guy's no Deshaun Watson, blah, 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 making those same stupid eye test mistakes that I always make. Um, and then Clemson absolutely dismantled Alabama. So I'm not completely – you know, betting against that this year to happen the exact same way. But, you know, this LSU team I don't think is that Alabama team. And I think Coach Orgeron's the new sheriff in town, and I think he's going to show Dabo. Uh, he's, you know, Dabo's going to be looking at Coach Orgeron holding the trophy from the sideline. That's that's my prediction. Yeah, I wouldn't um, I be shocked. It, Go ahead. I, I actually, in my first prediction, did predict it being a close game. But after really thinking about it, I just I don't know if that's a smart choice on, on my own thought. You know, I haven't been great on my predictions lately. But that one is one that I, I just cannot go back on. I think LSU is going to hand it to Clemson, and 
there's going to be a new champion not called the Tigers or the Crimson Tide. Yeah, you know, I really, I really can't disagree with you. I think that LSU is going to win this game, but I do want to mention real quick before we move on to the NFL, I really think the winner of this of the Clemson-Ohio State game, to me, Danny, it had to be that Clemson O-line. I mean, to have Chase yeah. Young on the opposing you know, defense and to hold him to two total tackles, one solo, no sacks, really not even, you know, he had one QB hurry, not really even much of an impact. And I talked about him. That's the reason I picked Ohio State. If you remember correctly, I, yeah, I said, you know, there's no way that you, they can hold Chase Young. And they did that. And I think that was probably the most impressive thing in that game that doesn't really go on the stat sheet when it goes to O-linemen. But, yeah, Clemson skated by a win for the century when you talk about a comeback win, gutsy win against a great Ohio State team who is probably going to be there again next year. But, yeah, we both agree, LSU over Clemson easily. Let's move on. Sticking with football, but now the NFL playoffs. Playoff time is finally here. And real quickly, my Dallas Cowboys will not be in it. I don't want to sound like Skip Bayless and start really (laughs) ranting, but kind of glad they're not in it. The Jason Garrett saga is still going. (laughs) We don't know what's going on. I got an alert last night on the way home saying he was fired. This is being filmed on January 3rd, by the way. January 2nd, I got an alert saying, oh, the Cowboys are quote-unquote moving on. And then this morning, I see from Jane Slater on Twitter, oh, uh, yeah, Jason Garrett hasn't told his players he's gotten fired yet. So I don't know what's going on. So we're going to move past it because I don't want to talk about the Cowboys anymore. Let's look ahead, though. First round, AFC, we already know the Ravens and Chiefs have buys. First round, surprisingly enough, it looked like it was going to be the Saints, but the Packers sneak in, get that first round buy behind the 49ers. Now looking ahead, we've got great matchups. That we got Tennessee at New England in the AFC. Buffalo at Houston in the wildcard round. For the NFC, you got Minnesota at New Orleans, and then you've got Seattle at Philly. Danny, we already know that we both – or I know I predicted. I can't remember exactly what you said. I said Ravens in the Super Bowl. Who did you say? I, I had the Ravens as well. But okay, I, yeah. I think I just we had to make them sure. beating separate teams. Yes, yes. I had Ravens Saints. I'm pretty sure you had Ravens Seahawks. Ravens Seahawks. Ooh, interesting. Battle of the Birds. Okay, well. Yes. First off, let me ask you: Is Seattle going to get past Philly? Uh, truthfully, I, I believe so, 100. percent I think the Eagles have been fighting so hard with you know with your Cowboys throughout. The, these last couple of weeks trying to make the playoffs at all. I don't even think they're focused on this game. I, I think their Super Bowl was won when they when they won the division. Um, I do think Carson Wentz is starting to find his, his level right now when he needs to, and he had a couple big, big performances to get them in, in the position they're in. But quite frankly, I don't think they have enough offensive weapons to keep up with Seattle's plethora of weapons on offense. And to be honest, they played during the regular season, and the only reason the game was close is because Zach Ertz went off, and we're not even sure Zach Ertz is playing this game. So if Zach Ertz isn't even playing, because I think he has some sort of lung injury or something pretty intense. Pretty sure it's I a fractured know. rib, so yeah, it's it's not Maybe that's good. what it is. You know, he's going to be struggling to breathe and walk. You know, he, he was really the only part of that offense that really flourished during that game. So I think Philadelphia is really going to struggle to put points on the board. And uh, anybody who listened to one of our last podcasts, I predicted the Seahawks were going to beat the 49ers and get that one seed. And clearly I was wrong about that. Like I've been wrong on a lot of predictions, but I'm not willing to give up that the Seahawks are, in my opinion, the best team in the NFC. Uh, And they were quite frankly robbed of being, you know, winning that division against the 49ers this past week. But no, I, I don't think Philly has much chance against Seattle in this game, even at home. Um, and we know what Russell Wilson does in the playoffs. And right. I don't know if most people know this, even though the Eagles do have a Super Bowl. I guess what was it last couple? When was that? Last year or the year before? I want to say it was the year before. It's bad. It was year my before. senior year of high school, I believe. 
So okay, so they have a Super Bowl in the last couple yeah. of years, but a normal Eagles fan wants to defend Carson Wentz, but if you remember, it wasn't even Carson Wentz who was the quarterback of that team when they won the Super Bowl. It was Nick Foles. This is, in fact, Carson Wentz's first playoff game. That is going to be a big deal. And I think when it comes to me, my personal predictions in NFL playoffs, I'm always going to go with the more experienced quarterback. And in this situation, I think that is clearly Russell Wilson. And I think Seattle wins the game by about 13 points. Yeah, I would say so as well. I'm not a huge Eagles fan. Of course, people know that I'm a Cowboys lover, sadly. But, you know, I don't think Philly has anywhere close to the weapons Seattle's got. I heard on the radio today that Marshawn Lynch could probably not pass 90% of the other team's conditioning test in the NFL, which gave me a good laugh because he looked, let's just say interesting to say the least, against the Niners. But, uh, yeah, I really do want to stick with, though, with my Saints prediction. I think that people aren't giving Michael Thomas the credit he deserves, Danny. I mean, talk about a fantastic season. I don't have his stats pulled up right in front of me, but – to do what he's doing and you know, for no one to even really be discussing him, I feel like just because of Drew Brees having that injury early on and having them you know, be quarterbacked by Teddy Bridgewater for such a extensive period of time kind of took the attention off New Orleans, which I think is going to bode well for them. This Vikings matchup, I think they can easily win this game. It's inside the dome, but that's where I really think is gonna it's gonna hurt New Orleans in the end. If they somehow get to an NFC championship game against, you know, a Seattle or a Green Bay or a San Fran, can Drew Brees go in on the road and win in a, a road playoff game to get to the Super Bowl? My answer is yes, but you know that's the beauty of sports. We do not know what indeed is going to happen. Sh- quickly shifting to the AFC, I don't know if you saw my Twitter today, but I retweeted a guy who I want to say he's a local broadcaster. I want he's a local weatherman for a Tennessee radio, uh, Tennessee TV network, and he had the most hilarious, hilarious breakdown. I can't tell you exactly what he said, but it was more along the lines of, you know, watch out for Foxborough this weekend. There's going to be a, I think it was a Tannehill typhoon and a Hurricane Henry. And just, I said that's probably, that honestly, I mean, I know it's early January 3rd. That could be the tweet of the year if Tennessee pulls off the upset against New England, which it seems like on the national spotlight, people are loving Tennessee in this game, and I'm not buying it. I don't think Tom Brady is going to lose to a Tennessee team at home, despite you know not having the best of years. I don't see it from Tennessee, and I don't really see anybody winning. Or, excuse me, going back on my point, I'm, tr- I'm trembling with my words. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm nervous talking to you, Danny. You're such a star. But <laughs> New England, really, I think it's not going to be even close with Tennessee. People want to say, okay, yeah, Ryan Tannehill, this and that. I understand, but I don't want to be the guy that pulls the name game. You're talking about Tom Brady. I don't think there's going to be a chance. Now, granted, once Tom Brady goes on the road and potentially plays you know, the Ravens or the Chiefs, then yeah, I could see Tom Brady faltering just because of the lack of weapons and you know the inconsistency the Patriots have shown recently. But in the AFC, to me, it's Patriots all the way in this game, no? Uh, no, I'm, I'm completely with you, man. I, I'm hearing all these people who are talking, oh, Tennessee could pull the upset, oh, Derrick Henry this. Uh, oh, the Brady's getting too old. Now's the time. Belichick's falling off. That is exactly what New England wants to hear. Because if anybody knows football, they know that New England does one thing, in my opinion, better than any other team. And that is game plan. They do it so well. They game plan better than most teams in the league could dream of. And Tennessee right now has one big weapon, one big shining weapon, and that's Derrick Henry. 
if you don't think New England's going to go into that game with the six best rush defense in the NFL and at least hold Derrick Henry to mediocre numbers, do you do you think Ryan Tannehill is going to outduel Tom Brady? <laughs> oh no. God, Absolutely no. not. And it's not like this is a, a new up-and-coming quarterback. This is a quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, who played in Miami, who had to face New England twice a year for the better part of his career. This is a quarterback that New England knows very well. And we know that New England has, you know, a lot of hidden tapes in their playbooks and in their locker room. You don't think they're going to pull those <laughs> out and just completely shut down Ryan Tannehill? I love the New uh, England jab, by the way. That's a good one. I, I'm not a New England guy. I think everybody <laughs> knows that. Not a New England guy. But... I don't think Ryan Tannehill is the quarterback to take them down. And, and I love Derrick Henry. I had him on my fantasy team this year. and He was the rushing king this year. so He was. He, he could do some damage, but I think New England just has too much. They have the best secondary in football right now. So whatever passing attack Tennessee might think they have, it's going to get shut down. I see this being, honestly, I have, I have written down here 27-10. Yeah. I think New England sends a message because if they crawl through this game, if they barely make it through this game and they have to go to Kansas City, who already beat them in in Foxborough, they have to go play Kansas City. And Patrick Mahomes, who in my opinion is the best quarterback right now, at least the best prospect in football, I, I can't see Brady keeping up. And I think, bold, bold prediction here, we might be seeing the last season of Tom Brady. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, that's been the rumor for so long, but this year it really does seem like this could be his curtain call, if you will. As weird as that sounds, he's been. Absolutely. Seems like he's been around for. I mean, he's definitely been around for as long as I've been alive. <laughs> I can't think of a game that I watched the Patriots, and he's not QB. But you know, it is really weird to think that. All right, real quickly, who is your sleeper team? Not necessarily a team that can win it all, but maybe a team that can shake things up and potentially get a chance to go to the Super Bowl this season. It, it's tough looking at it because I do feel as though there are some clear cut favorites in these playoff matchups this wild card weekend. But the only real sleeper team that I can think of is indeed that same team I picked to get to the Super Bowl, and that's the Seahawks. I don't see any other non-top two teams having a chance to get through, and I think Seattle's already proven that they can beat San Francisco, and they probably should have beat them twice. So I I see them winning this game against Philly relatively handily and and making their way up to San Francisco and really, really giving Jimmy Garoppolo – uh, and that you know, crazy talented defense in San Francisco, a really tough game. And, and I truly think, you know, like you mentioned, can Drew Brees go play on the road and win? You know, you may believe yes, but history has said otherwise. And what else history has said is that Aaron Rodgers can't do it on the road either. And so I think if those two teams end up being the ones to go play either San Francisco or uh, Seattle, unfortunately, if it is Seattle, they'll have to go to whoever of those teams gets through. But I do think I've seen Seattle do tougher things and i think that they're going to end up being that sleeper team if you can call them a sleeper uh to to make it all the way to the super bowl i'm sticking with that pick i am not backing down on russell wilson uh i I think that he is the quarterback in that conference who is most prepared to go on the road and win the games that need to be won so that that's my sleeper choice interesting interesting so russell wilson over aaron Rodgers on the road yes interesting interesting okay well I'm going to shift a little bit to the AFC. I know we look at the Ravens, and we both have them in the Super Bowl. It's not a coincidence. I mean, they're the best team in football, if we're being honest. But one team, I don't know why, Danny, I'm so intrigued by this team. I said sleeper team earlier when we were chatting on the phone before we got on the podcast, and part of me is just feeling like this team can make a run. 
And that team resides in Houston. I really like the Texans. I think that they're going to beat the Bills in this wild card matchup. Granted, I think this might be, in all the wild card games, the closest game. I like the Bills. I love Josh Allen. I love what he's done this season. You know, Sean McDermott's done a phenomenal job with this Buffalo team. But part of me really just loves the psyche of Deshaun Watson and the way that he's played. Kind of a low key type, you know. MVP-esque season. I wouldn't really say MVP season because he's definitely not going to win the MVP. We all know that. But when you look at Deshaun Watson this season, I think he's been pretty impressive. 26 touchdowns opposed to 12 picks, 3,800 yards, 67% completion percentage, 10-6 and record. I mean, I can't hate on him. You know, he's one of the, I think, most bright young quarterbacks in the NFL. And if they do draw the Ravens or the Chiefs, I would more likely or I would more rather them see the uh, the Chiefs than the Ravens because I want to look at the Texans' schedule. They lost to the Ravens this year 41-7. So I don't think that the Ravens would have a trouble with the Texans if they end up meeting them, but I do see the Texans potentially making an AFC Championship appearance if they draw Kansas City in the second round. So I'm going to say Houston as a sleeper pick. <laughs> Houston could lose this weekend. You know, we never know. But I think right now I like the Texans. J.J. Watt's returning. I like that defense. I hate that they traded Jadavion Clowney to your sleeper team, the Seahawks, this season. But, you know, that's the beauty of the NFL. I think any team can go out there, especially some of these teams that made it this year. Tennessee, what a great story. Buffalo as well. Philly somehow sneaking in as a, you know, representative of the joke-filled NFC East. And then you look at Minnesota getting in on that wild card. But who knows? Who knows what happens? But we're both sticking strong. I'm guessing with the Ravens, yes. Super Bowl yes, champs. Yes, absolutely. I don't see them uh, I don't see them really too, having too much trouble getting through. Awesome. Awesome. Well, glad we can agree on that. Now we're going to move forward. Looking hold at- on. Hold on. Hold on. Quickly, before we get into that, I, I do really enjoy and I like and I agree with your Houston pick. And I think... You know, with JJ coming back, I think that is a way bigger deal than a lot of people think it is. I think people have forgotten how much of a presence JJ Watt is on the field. And I think that is something, like you said, he could really disrupt these quarterbacks in the AFC who have been, you know, relatively untouched for most of the go. And I think Houston has so many weapons on that offense. I mean, they have, I think, Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson in the backfield. They have one of the best receivers in football, DeAndre Hopkins, along with Will Fuller and Kenny Stills, who can go on a go route on any situation during a game and get to an 80-yard touchdown. I, I absolutely agree with you, and I think the Houston really smokes the Bills tomorrow. You know, in this first game, um, you know, even though you said it could be close, it could be, but I think uh, Houston really goes out and, and runs them down. So I absolutely agree with that. But uh, yeah, sorry, I just wanted to get that point out. Oh, never apologize for congratulating me on a point, Danny. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, let's go to our sport, basketball, to the NBA. Now, before we get into this point, I do want to say that I think that the all-star game and the all-star voting process is, to me, a joke. I think you really should leave it up to experts. I know you love to get the fans' input and see who they want to you know, see in this game, but, man, if this isn't an example of why we should not let the fans have such a large say. I don't know what is. So let's look at the first results of the NBA All-Star voting that returned on January 2nd. First, the names that stick out. Okay, <laughs> I really can't believe I'm saying this. In the West, guards, 8th with 92,000 votes, Alex Caruso. Oh, my God. He is ahead of two guys in the West that are much more deserving, in my opinion, Devin Booker and John Morant. Let that sink in. 
let that sink in. How about that? Alex Caruso. Man, I don't even know what to say. But this one baffles me more. In the East, in the front court, well, we know in the East, the only guy that's got a million votes, my boy Yanis, of course, a million seventy-three thousand in the East, in the front court, at sixth, with 110,000 votes. <laughs> Taco Fall. What in the... I mean, come on, Danny. This... Come on. This is a joke. This is a joke. I understand that... Okay, yeah, he's a fan favorite, but I even saw an article just now. Brad Stevens said, you know, he doesn't like it. He's like, when you talk about what's on the court and then what's on the voting, he's like, it's stupid. I think stupid is the perfect way to put it. Granted, yeah, the fans have fun. All those meme accounts. I'm a pro- Have you seen the Aaron Baines fan club on of Twitter? Course. Oh my, I'm surprised Aaron Baines isn't leading the front court when it comes to the West. But, you know, I think that's just, that's preposterous. And I don't want to sound like Stephen A and start getting into like the big, big vocabulary, preposterous, blasphemy, whatever you want to call it. That's a joke. No, I, I'm 100% completely with you. Have you heard the phrase, never let the inmates run the asylum? <laughs> That's what's happening when you let fa- when you put the choices of an all-star game, which is a game that is absolutely dying. You put the hands of who goes in in the hands of the fans? The hands of the fans? What if they did that for Heisman Trophy voting? Oh, what if they God. did that What if they did that with All-Pro in the NFL? And the NBA? For the Pro oh, Bowl. Wait. Yeah, I can't imagine. The Pro Bowl. Sorry. Yeah, you see what happens when that happens. It, it, it doesn't work. And unfortunately, I think, you know, I don't think th- those two things end up really mattering in the in the grand scheme of things, which is fortunate enough. But these are the types of things that can happen when you allow fans to input their opinions on who's their most excited player. I mean, Taco Falls six in voting. I think six is more minutes than he might have played this year. Danny, I don't want to cut you off, but uh, I just realized in the West, you know who's fourth? For guards, excuse my oh, voice. Steph Curry. Steph Curry. Steph Curry what? Four games. Excuse my voice getting so high, listeners. I really apologize. I, my voice is not that high in person. Steph Curry. Come on, you've got to be kidding me. He's got more votes than Russell Westbrook, D'Angelo Russell, who I'm shocked is up there. And can we talk about too? Dwight Howard is tenth. I kind of like that too because Dwight Howard's been interesting. But come on, there's no way he should make the All Star game. And in the past. This has been the thing. I hate to cut you off, but I just want to say real quick that you know fans can vote all they want, but at the end of the day, those guys are not going to be in the game. Taco Fall is not going to play in the All-Star game. Alex Caruso will not either. Carmelo Anthony is eighth in the front court. I'm, that is, yeah, ay-ay-ay indeed. What in the world? I mean, while you were talking, I'm sorry, I couldn't even help but notice Steph Curry at fourth. I'm reading these names. Yeah, Luka Doncic, James Harden, Dame Lillard, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, and I'm like, wait a second. Like you said, Steph Curry's played like four games this year. <laughs> I mean, I get that he's a fan favorite, but I mean, come on. The the line has to be drawn, and the line's got to be drawn now. This is a joke. There's no reason it should be continued. I'm sorry. Go ahead and do your last point. No, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm completely with you, and I don't know if you've seen those proposed rules for next year, but I think that midseason tournament with the $1 million prize money, I'll tell you right now, I will sit down and watch that game. I will tell you the truth. I am one of the biggest NBA fans in the world you know this we're on the same level of loving the nba i cannot tell you the last time i've sat down for two and a half hours <laughs> and watched that absolute non-defense having dunk contest part two that happens on the sunday I- i'd rather go to sleep it- it's that boring when you see a score like 180 to 175 there's no need for this anymore 
people talk about, oh, we're scared the players are going to get injured. I'm more scared they're going to get injured playing that game, doing alley-oops off the shot clock. And so at this point, I, I think I'm over the All-Star game. This voting is just hilarious. I think it puts the icing on this cake that is the joke of the All-Star voting. You know, in my opinion, one of the joke. you know, I won't even, you know, I won't even call it a joke because Derrick Rose being number four makes sense. Before the season started, if somebody told me Derrick Rose would come in at number four in the Eastern Conference guard voting, I would have laughed in their face. I would have said, who? Derrick who? He's not a coach? He's not coaching on a team right now? But he's number four, and I look at the names who are above him, I would argue he should be ahead of maybe Kyrie and Kemba. He should definitely be ahead of Kyrie Irving. I'm so happy you said that because you did give some Derrick Rose slander to my face when I showed you a graphic when you were here a couple weeks ago, and... I'm really happy you finally agreed with me. Derrick Rose is having a phenomenal year. Granted, it may be against second-string guys, but Kyrie Irving, ever since he left Cleveland, it's been downhill. And this year with Brooklyn, you know, having his durability concerns coming into the season, it's a joke. I agree with you. Derrick Rose should be too. But the one thing that I, I have a little bit of a bone to pick with this voting, as I'm looking through the voting, when I talk about top picks you know the most votes i'm looking at giannis i'm looking at Doncic. i'm looking at lebron i'm talking about those right now for me should be the top three in mvp voting right that would be my top three and they're there at the top but when i look at the top guard in the east right now <laughs> we're talking about and i understand people they love this guy ever since he got drafted you know the young he's a new Steph curry look at the range look at the handles trey young is averaging pretty good numbers right 29 points almost nine assists he's top of the league in these numbers but at what point does the success of your team start to count good point because right now he's leading the east in voting on a team that has the worst record in the nba <laughs> in the nba they have the they are the worst team and my in in my opinion, the only team I would have put close to them was my Golden State Warriors, who over the last 10 days have looked like a top five team in the West. That's how good they've looked the last 10 days. Right now, Atlanta has not shown glimpses of being a team who even might be successful in the future, considering they're not even giving some of their young guys proper minutes. I don't know what they're doing in Atlanta. I think Trey Young is waiting to get out of Atlanta, and I hope that he does because I don't want to see his skills wasted there. But when I look at that, I'm just thinking, why is the All-Star game still a thing if we're not voting based on team success, if we're only voting on what our very, very untrained eyes want to see in this circus of a, of a game? I think at this point, the All-Star game and the All-Star weekend is more money than it's worth. And I, I hope that they go to these proposed rules and they switch it to a $1 million prize money tournament because that, for me, sounds exciting. This right now, what I'm looking at, is, as you said multiple times, it's a joke. Yeah, you can't say much more. I, I can't even – I don't even want to bore our listeners right now <laughs> by even saying much more, but <clears throat> I really do think that – I thought about the play-in tournament, and I'm kind of against it just because I think it sounds kind of kiddish. It doesn't really sound as, you know, something that I'm used to. But, I mean, hey, if you're going to put that in over the All-Star game, I'm all for it. I'm all game. All right, now that's all of our sports talk we have for today, but – you know it's kicking it, so you know we can't end a podcast without talking about shoes. Danny, real quick, tell the listeners what you ended with in the shoe game 2019 and what you started with in 2020. We know that you picked up some heat. Tell the listeners what you got. Yeah, so you know, 
over the last couple months, I've been taking some time trying to save up some money, make a couple of big purchases over this break because I wanted to make sure I come back into my last spring season playing with the most heat in the country on feet. Whether I'm the best player or not, I'm far <laughs> from that. I will absolutely be the player with the most swag. Everybody knows that. So <laughs> the last sneaker show of the year, right, a couple days after Christmas, I went to SOE, Sneakers Over Everything. I want to shout out SOE. They've grown so much in the past couple of years. It's a great event, quality shoes, cheap entry, so much good networking, connections made. Everything's great. And so I walked in to that show, which started at 12 o'clock. I wanted to get there as early as I can because I had one shoe in mind that I wanted to buy, and that's the Travis Scott Jordan 1 Low, which I believe when we first talked about our top five shoes, that may have been my number one shoe. It was. So it was mine as was. well. So I was very much hoping to acquire that shoe. And by about 12.06, <laughs> six minutes in, I had been in, walked around, done my negotiations, and found my shoe. I am not going to give the exact price I spent on that shoe because my mom may listen to this podcast and she will smack me around and there may not be a fifth episode <laughs> of Kicking It. But Smart. it was worth what I paid they are beautiful. The materials, you know, the first thing I did when I got them was switch out those black laces for the pink ones. They're the most comfortable shoe I think I've had. The backward swoosh is amazing. The browns, the creams, everything is perfect. But I could not let that steer me away from the other shoe that I had been talking about for the whole of 2019 that I needed to get my hands on. And I did it on January 1st. 2020 what if a way to, what got, a way to start the year oh if my God. anybody got their grail shoe for the following year faster than me i dare you to come on the podcast and debate me i got these <laughs> shoes before noon on new year's day i picked up the sakai ld waffle in the pine green colorway Ooh. from my boys from my boys over at soul station in university city next to uh, university of north carolina charlotte they always give me good business as I do for them. And uh, as soon as they posted on the story, I sent it straight to you and said, I'm going to pick these bad boys up. And that's exactly what I did. So the two shoes that I wanted to pick up for the Christmas break and for all of 2020, all 365 days, I am now complete on day one of the year. And I am so happy they're sitting right next to each other on my shoe displays, staring at each other with the same love and admiration that I am staring at them right now. And I promise you will see them on my feet this semester. We wear our kicks over at Kicking It with Breezy and Don C. We do not let our kicks stay DS. We break them out as soon as we get them, and that's exactly what's going to happen this spring. But I know you also picked up some heat for this semester. Don C is the swaggiest reporter, <laughs> analyst, commentator, podcast host in the game. So let the people know what you picked up over break as well. Such kind words, Danny. You never fail with that. I am very jealous of the shoes you got because those two shoes are very high on my list. But I made a very low-key pickup, and most people aren't going to be like, oh, you know, that's that's nothing. But you were with me when we were in Charlotte and made that day trip over to Soul Station, over to Good Times. I got a pair of the Jordan 1 Lows, the Gold Toast, which I love. I love the gold look, the patent leather design. I got those for only $60. I'm not afraid to share the price on that one. I didn't ball as much as Danny did with the other two shoes, but <laughs> – I kept it low price. You know, it's tough because, you know, it's interesting because I wear a size 14 pretty much on every pair of shoes I have. And I saw these sitting in there and Danny and I looked at each other and, you know, looked at the price tag like $60. Like that, that's nothing. I picked them up. I'm like, ah, darn, they're size 13. 
And in my head, I'm like, you know what? I've got a pair of actually the Shattered Backboard 1 lows. And I'm like, let me just try 13 because the Shattered Backboard lows are a little bit big on me. So I tried on the 13s and they fit like a glove. And we left and I'm like, you know what? We got to go back. I got to get them. So Danny and I went back. I picked them up and I'm so happy. I wore them to my grandparents' house over Christmas break. And all my aunts and uncles were like, oh, Donnie, I love those shoes. Like, where'd you get those? And I'm like, hey, you know. Guy can't give up his secrets. So it was a very low-key pickup, but I actually got a lot of Nike gift cards for Christmas. You know, I'm a sneakerhead. I love shoes. love Nike. Nike's my brand. So I'm looking to make a little bit of a decent splash. I might get a pair of the OG Cortezes, the ones that Forrest Gump famously wore in his movie. Big fan of those. I might get a pair of Skylons, not the Fear of God ones, because sadly those aren't on the Nike website. But who knows what I'll be doing this calendar year. But let's take a look ahead. I've got three shoes that I really want to get. In the calendar year of 2020, Danny's got a little bit differently, but real quick, the three shoes that I want to get, I was hoping I was going to find these under my Christmas tree on Christmas morning, the Air Jordan Low SB Desert Oars. I love these shoes. I don't know what it is, but the low design with the mismatching blue on the lining is just beautiful, and then the Nike check as well. I love them. They retail for about 130 size 14 on StockX. I really hope to pick those up as well. Next, I was telling Danny earlier, I got a notification on my phone before we started of the all-black, this is going to get you, Danny, Yeezy 700 V3s. And they look like they could be worn at a hospital with scrubs, <laughs> if you think about it. And shout-out to my cousin Martha, who is a nurse, not downplaying a nurse at all. I think she's you know one of the hardest-working people I know, so shout-out Martha. But... The Yeezy 700 V3s, I love the all-black look, and I've always been a Kanye guy when it comes to sneakers, so who knows? Those could be a pickup if they drop at retail and they're you know decently priced. Lastly, this one may shock you, Danny, because I don't really know if these even sell in size 14 or you know if they do, you know if they're even at a decent price range. The Fear of God gray Chuck Taylor 70s. I saw these on GOAT when I just was searching around, you know, spending well, I would say not spending, wasting time on my phone, just looking at GOAT, looking at StockX. And I searched Fear of God because I love Jerry Lorenzo. And the Fear of God Chuck 70s, oh my gosh. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to really look at them, but they're just a basic pair of Chuck 70s. The laces are tied around the top of the shoe, around the high top portion. I think it looks pretty artsy. It looks pretty cool. And then on the back, instead of saying Converse, it's got the Fear of God on the left shoe. And then on the right shoe, it says Essentials on the back. Jerry Lorenzo's go-to. I love these shoes. I love the high top look. Hopefully, they can get to a price where I can sit there and say, okay, you know, maybe I can, you know, spend the bag on these. But also forgot, I actually got a pair also of the Nike React Elements, just the all black. Very simple, but very clean oh, look. Shout, awesome. out my, shout out to my mom, AKA Santa, because that was an awesome pickup. And I'm really glad I got to add that to my collection. But what are some shoes that you're looking to make a splash in with in 2020? Yeah, no, I, I like all those choices. I love how you mixed in a little hype b shoe with the yeezy v3 with a couple of classics like you know the jerry with the modern touch that he puts i actually have seen those chuck 70s and i love them so simple that pale color it's it's, it's beautiful i love them and those desert oars are great I, th I think you hit it spot on but i went a little bit different i talked about three shoes that i'm very hyped for that are going to release in 2020 and at the top of that list number one i have deshaun witherspoon atmos a6 collaboration oh boy that I'm hoping oh. releases soon we're talking Sean Witherspoon for me is such an interesting designer because he came from, you know, vintage clothing, having his own shop round two, you know, going to 
flea markets and yard sales and buying vintage clothes and selling them. And all of a sudden, wins a contest with Nike, designs one of the best shoes of the past three years in the Sean Witherspoon Air 97 ones. Like, those are classics. And I think this new collaboration after leaving Nike, he's bringing those same colors, those same corduroy materials. And the logo, the branding is Velcro on this seal. It's it's so he's so modern, he's so vintage. I love what he's doing, and I did hear now that he is doing or he might join Team Adidas now. Yes, so I was just about to I mention can, that. I can only imagine what's coming in the future from Sean, but this shoe I am praying releases. I'm praying I can get my hands on them for a price that's hopefully less than the original Sean's. But I'm very excited about those shoes. Number two is the UNC Jordan threes. So uh, this yeah. is a shoe that released in a PE I believe two years ago. And those PEs to this day still go for over $10,000. Crazy. This shoe, and how mad are the people holding on to those shoes? Because this shoe is going to release for $170 with basically everything the same. Carolina blue colors, classic Jordan 3 silhouette, great materials, the UNC branding on the tongue. Who knows if they'll keep that with a general release. But that shoe, me being from North Carolina, it would be wrong of me not to buy those shoes. Um, so I'm very excited for those shoes as well. And the super hype beast in me. The hype beast. I love my classic shoes. I'm always going to wear what I like and buy what I like. But the super hype beast in me is so excited for those Travis Scott dunk lows that he was just spotted in in those Jack Boys pictures. When the pictures released of these shoes with that bandana print on the side, the plaid, you know, the just splashes of plaid that he put in the white rope laces, which a lot of people didn't really notice. Most dunks have a flat lace. These had a white rope lace. There's probably going to be 3M on them. They're probably going to sell for some crazy price. But the hype beast in me, especially after picking up these Travis Scott Jordan 1 lows, I can't even imagine picking up those dunks. But you never know. 2020, Breezy always likes to make moves when it comes to shoes. So I may end up finding my way to picking those up. Um, but yeah, those are my top three. The one shoe that didn't quite make my list that I'm very excited for is, I don't know if you know about the Mars Yards. Do you remember those when they came out a couple years ago? You're going to have to refresh my memory, Danny. I'm not so too, they're not too Tom Sachs. This. Tom Sachs, who's a designer, used NASA-approved materials for the Mars Yard 1.0. It's a very classic silhouette, not really like anything you Ah, uh, yeah, before. I just looked it up right now. I do recognize these. Yes, it's a simple design, red swoosh. The netting in the upper, the kind of mesh material with the red tags. It's one of the most comfortable shoes I've ever felt when I saw them in store. I never got to try them on because they sell for something ungodly. But <laughs> they're re-releasing this year. I'm hoping that they come through with them. Last year they released the Overshoe, which looked like the astronaut shoe that some people were hype about. I thought they were hilarious. But now us sneakerheads are very excited for them to release the 2.0. Um, and I'm excited for those as well. So it's going to be a big year of sneakers in 2020, big year in streetwear, although Mr. Virgil still does not believe that streetwear is going to survive this year. I believe that it's going to thrive this year like it does every year, and you're going to see some big things happening. So I'm very excited about those and hopefully trying to attain one or more of those shoes throughout 2020. All well said, Danny. I really cannot wait until hopefully Nike drops some, you know, fire shoes on the nike app or the sneakers app because got to use those gift cards those gift cards are going to be stashed for a while but can't wait to break them out we want to thank you guys again can't even put into words you know how much we appreciate the support that we've gotten so far through three episodes 
Want to give a shout out to everyone that's following us on Instagram at kickinitdbdc. Actually, wanted to quickly before we wrap up mention to you all listening that there's going to be a giveaway courtesy of some of our stickers that we ordered from Redbubble, courtesy of my sister, the designer Maria Shirell. Shout out Maria. Uh, just you know, pay attention to the Instagram page. There's going to be a giveaway post that's going to be posted in the next couple of days once Danny and I are back on campus at Wingate. So stick around for that. Could end up you know getting a couple of free stickers coming your way. But again, just wanted to say thank you. Don't forget to check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and on Instagram at Kicking It DBDC with Breezy and Don C. Just wanted to say thank you again, and always thanks for kicking it with Breezy and Don C. We are out. Bye, guys.